you'd like to go, uh, please feel welcome to go. I uh, pray Brother Jerry Jones preached this afternoon. Uh, Pastor posted it so you can go back and watch it if you'd like to. Pretty good message. Pretty good message. Alrighty, uh, we'll jump right in so we can get done on time, <laughs> hopefully. Uh, Revelation chapter 3, and uh, I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou uh, livest and art dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard, and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment. And I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit hath to say to the churches. I have to tell you, I was happier doing Smyrna because he didn't have any complaints about them. He didn't have anything good to say about this one, <laughs> except there's a few left. <laughs> so uh, I want to talk about the most important view. Uh, you know, as a, if you go to the doctor or a medical professional, you can, uh, they, they look at the patient on the outside, and you can make some basic assessments, uh, do some lab work and check uh, the vital signs. But really, until you look inside with some of the diagnostic testing, the MRIs, things like that, or actually open them up with surgery, you don't really know what's taking place. You really don't know what's taking place. Uh, it's everything seems to be all right. Sometimes there's warnings and sometimes there's not. <laughs> and uh, so we have to realize that, that it's, it's our perspective that makes the difference. And so uh, we come now to the fifth church along the postal route of Asia Minor. And uh, hopefully Joe put the map up for you so you don't forget where we are. Okay, he's awake now. There you go. Uh, <laughs> from all these churches that we have looked at at this point, there is a prevailing lesson. We can look at outward appearance of things of God, but God looks on the heart. We also must point out that God is not nearly as impressed with the things that impress us. <laughs> Sometimes we do things thinking we're going to impress God, and he, he's not impressed. <laughs> a lot of times, a lot of people aren't impressed. Uh, that was the lesson of Sardis here. From all the churches that we looked at to this point, uh, they, uh, it looked like it was alive, but it was dead. It was literally a church populated with corpses sitting in the pews. <laughs> they looked alive, but they were dead. They looked alive, but they were dead. And so the thing is, this can happen anywhere. You know, uh, and I know this message is probably be more beneficiary on Sunday morning when everybody's here, because sometimes the dead ones only come once a week, but <laughs> but the problem is, we can all become dead. <laughs> it's a point on demand once to die. <laughs> so we can all become dead, and so this is, this is a warning for us too, uh, those that are here tonight, to make sure we don't fall into this trap, and uh, so, not to take away from Hollywood or anything, but Sardis, the church of the living dead. Now you won't forget what we're talking about tonight. Uh, if we were able to make comparisons to other churches, it might be like this. Ephesus uh, lost their first love. Pergamos uh, was uh, gripped by worldliness. Uh, Thyatira was, they were tolerant of sin. As we mentioned, Smyrna was the only one that he didn't complain about. But Sardis had reached a new low. It was a church dominated by sin, false doctrine, and unbelief. It was the church of the living dead. It was about 30 miles around the horn from Thyatira. If you look on the map there. 
Uh, it was one of the richest cities in the entire world because it uh, had become a major trade center. Uh, it had a river that could be panned for gold. It had a thriving wool industry. Uh, makers of costly dyes of wool were there as well. It may have received its name from the Sardis stone found in the region which were used as amulets to drive away evil spirits. Uh, let's stop and think about that for a minute. How much difference there is between amulets and what we call jewelry? <laughs> Do you think you have to wear jewelry to ward off evil spirits? No, you got the Holy Spirit. <laughs> you don't need anything else. Man's always trying to add on to what God's already got taken care of. Uh, it may have received this name from that stone. Uh, the climate and elegant palace uh, were the center of attraction there. Uh, they had some Nice palaces there. Uh, one of the famous citizens was Aesop. Anybody ever heard of Aesop? A few? Anybody under 20 heard of Aesop? <laughs> under 20. <laughs> yeah, another one of those things they don't teach much in school anymore. Uh, he's still remembered by most of us for his fables. He was a slave who had been given freedom because of his accomplishments. Uh, his fables had given such ability to no negotiate peaceful uh, relations between warring leaders that he would be called to places like Corinth and Athens. So he'd go around, tell them a couple of these fables and help them out, get them back on track, uh, settle the differences between people. Uh, Sardar, Sardis was the center of worship of uh, Cybel who is considered the mother of gods. And that's uh, one of the representations over there. And uh, uh, you got to remember, all these places had idols. All of them. All of them. Uh, these people literally lived in the lap of luxury and spent their lives working so they could spend it on pleasure. <laughs> Sound familiar? They lived in the lap of luxury and spent their lives working so they could spend it on pleasure. I don't know if that's true any place a whole lot more than right here. <laughs> uh, now in the United States, we people work, but they're always working for the weekend. They're working for that pleasure time. And uh, that's what they think. Sardis was a place uh, for slack and effeminate living. They didn't have the real manly men there. The church in Sardis was not threatened by any dangers or perils. See, a lot of times these other persons were persecuted or different things like that. Sardis wasn't that way. There was no worship of Caesar or persecution in Sardis. There weren't any Jews slandering them. There was no internal heresy in the church. There was no pressure from the inside or the outside. No pressure. Inside or outside? A lot of us would like to feel what that's like again someday. Because <laughs> nowadays it seems like we live under a lot of pressure for different reasons. Uh, the church was completely at peace, but it was a place of the living dead. Perhaps things went too well in Sardis. And so the next time you're thinking about what a rough time you're having, think of Sardis. They had everything going in the right direction, yet they still were dead spiritually. And so, uh, when we look at Revelation chapter 3 and verse 1 again, and unto the angel of Sardis, church in Sardis, write, these things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, and thou hast a name that thou livest and are dead. So the reputation was they were alive, but the, the uh, Lord's calling them dead. Throughout these messages so far, these churches, the Lord is speaking to the angel of the church. He's speaking to the pastor of the church. It's a strong point that ministers must pay attention to. Furthermore, it would be safe to say that not only is the Lord looking in on the office of the pastor, but the ministry and the elders of the church as well, all the church leadership. There's very little possibility of a dead church really coming alive until the pastor, the preacher, the ministers, the leaders get on, set on fire 
with the Spirit and the power of God. We can't do it by ourselves. We've got to have that Spirit. And uh, thankfully, we may not have it as much as we like, but we have a lot more than other churches that I've been around. And uh, it, it's, it, it's something that you hope, and that's one of the things, if you want a fire to spread, you have to first get it started. And so if there's nobody there to get it started, <laughs> it's never going to get going. Uh, there can be little awakening, very little stirring, very little quickening, very little life within a church unless the ministry is totally committed to the Lord. And uh, revival is not likely unless the ministry is first revived. And I don't know, if, you know how many churches you have been around. I've visited a few that were uh, pretty dead. And when you talk to the leader, you could understand why it's pretty dead. <laughs> and uh, we have to understand that, that we uh, don't need to fall in that trap. We don't ever want to get to that place. And so sometimes the pastor's up here and he's really getting with it and just be thankful he's a living. <laughs> thankful that he is on fire because that's the only hope for the rest of us <laughs> uh, to get on fire is if we follow his lead. And uh, don't, that's why they say don't be a wet blanket, <laughs> you know, or don't sit on the preacher. Why? He, he's trying to stir up that gift that's in you and uh, make sure you're on fire and you're not, you're not dead anymore. Um, on the other hand, uh, this pastor of Sardis is still the hand of the Lord. Uh, he has been chosen by the Lord to do a work exactly as the Lord desires. He's been placed in a dead church by the Lord. <laughs> That's a hard thing. If you become the pastor of a place that is dead. Because it takes a lot to bring him back to life. But the Lord tries. The Lord puts people in the right place. But again, it's up to the people whether they follow the lead or not. Whether they respond to the spirit of God or not. It's not You can't blame it all on the preacher. That's for sure. <laughs> but if he leads and you don't follow, then you're the problem. Uh, he has been put there for a reason to be awakened himself and to awaken the church. And uh, one of the biggest things that you can go wrong in is, is thinking, well, maybe we don't have the right pastor. <laughs> That's above your pay grade. <laughs> Leave it up to God. He knows what he's doing. He knows much better than any single one of us or all of us combined who needs to lead the church. And it's his church. So he's going to take care of it. And so... Uh, sometimes we things uh, don't get done the way we like for them to be or whatever and, and we uh, you know people start complaining and someplace they want to have a vote of confidence on the pastor and no <laughs> nope leave that in God's hands a commitment to an awakening and a revival cannot be a single decision that is made back in the day the pastor made the decision he was going to be on fire 20 years ago, and the church had a great revival, we can't just stay on that and say, look, you know, remember the good old days, remember we had this, remember we had that, and I was kind of reminded this today that uh, it's not because we haven't had anybody else, but 10 years ago is when we had all those soldiers that were coming in at one time and praying and getting baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost, and uh, it just reminded me, you you know, as much as I like to remember that, and as much as, you know, that meant to me that day, uh, we just had three baptized Sundays, so we're still, still on track. <laughs> uh, thank God. Thank God. I think I mentioned before that uh, whenever I pastored in Michigan, the church that I went to there, I, I knew there was problems. I knew that when I went, but I didn't know how bad till <laughs> the first week or two. Uh, the first service guy come up to me and said, hey, anybody tell you who I am? I said, no, no, not yet. So I'm, I'm John. I'm the new convert. I said, really? Uh, when did you get the Holy Ghost? He said, two years ago. <laughs> I said, oh, my goodness. <laughs> One convert in two years. And then I went back and checked the baptistry, and there was no water in it. <laughs> so they were not ready. They were not expecting. And, uh, 
it, uh, I, I kept a banner up for probably three or four years that said, souls, souls, souls. Because <laughs> I had to get them back. And this wasn't just a little club. It had to turn back to where we were winning souls. And uh, <laughs> so, again, we have to look at the description of the Lord as he elevates the church at Sardis. Evaluates. Uh, he is the one who has the seven spirits of God. Just as with the previous four churches, this is a reference back to Revelation 1, 1, 4, the seven spirits which are before his throne. And so when you look at the Old Testament on this, uh, there's a few references to it. gives us a little bit of insight into the expression of the seven spirits of God. Seven is the number of perfection and expresses the perfect way the Holy Ghost will work. And so let's take a look at Isaiah uh, 11 and verses 1 through 3. And Josh is going to jump up and read them for me. Thank you, Brother Josh. Um, <clears throat> it, it's talking about the different spirits there. Spirit of the Lord, spirit of wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, fear of the Lord. And uh, so that's what these churches were trying to do, uh, the spirit was trying to do in the, through these churches. And um, some of them received it, some of them didn't. In Zechariah, he spoke prophetically about the way the spirit would work. Zechariah 4 and verse 6. Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. We have to realize, again, it is his church, and the way he's building his church, the way he's uh, dealing with his church is through the spirit. It's through the spirit. Uh, it's not enough just to have the word. We also have to be led by the spirit. The word tells us whether we're being led the right way or being being, uh, led by the right spirit. Uh, Because if it leads, we think it's leading to some place that goes against Scripture, then it's not Spirit of God. But the Spirit is within us and can lead and guide us. And if it's in us, then we all come together, then that's that much more the Spirit being uh, together at one time should be that much more powerful. That's why we can't just sit home and and be saved. (laughs) We got to come together. We got to come together because sometimes... You may be down to just the embers left, <laughs> and you need somebody to come in and, and throw a little fuel on the fire there to get you going. And other times, you may have to do that for somebody else. Uh, there's another place in Scripture that expresses some of the characteristics of how the Holy Spirit works. The Lord told the apostles in the upper room uh, the principles in John 13 through 16. We're going to look at quickly as to how the Spirit would help them accomplish the task of advancing the kingdom of God. In John 14, 16, it tells us about the comforter, a helper that we can have. In verse 17, it talks about the spirit of truth that is there to help us. John 18 through 20, the personal presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit are one and the same. John 14, 21, 22, the work of the Spirit In every believer, once you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you have the Spirit of God, and it can work in you. You don't have to wait on it to work in somebody else. It can work in you. Uh, Too many times we want to wait on somebody else to to do something, but if they've got the same Spirit we've got, we just have to yield the Lord and let Him use us the way He wants to use us instead of saying, Lord, this is the way I want to go. No. Let Him lead us. Let Him guide us. Uh, In verse... uh, 25, uh, the Spirit would serve as a teacher. No, no greater teacher than the Spirit. Uh, it's, it's, when you're reading along in the Scripture and the Word is quickened by the Spirit, nobody can convince you it's different. <laughs> you, you have the Word in black and white, 
but then you also have the Spirit agreeing with what you're seeing and giving you the understanding. Uh, remember, as he walked with the two disciples on the way to Emmaus, and he opened their understanding. And uh, now that he gives us his Spirit, he can open our understanding through the Spirit. And that's why if somebody says, I, I don't understand the oneness. Well, you can go through Scripture and see it. But as you're studying those Scriptures, the Spirit will also open your understanding to it so that you will understand it. Now, that didn't happen with the Trinity. I don't know anybody who's ever said to me, I got a revelation of the Trinity. No, they say, this is what I've always been taught. That's what they say. And uh, I remember <clears throat> one day at work, we were, uh, my dad and I worked in the same steel mill, and I went down to his little office for lunch. And uh, we were sitting there talking, and we'd eat, and then we'd talk scripture, and uh, I hadn't been back in the church very long, but uh, he, uh, <clears throat> I was explaining the oneness to him, uh, talked about scriptures that I had recently read and, you know, what I saw in him and everything, and he, he almost teared up, and he looked at me and said, well, now I know. I said, what do you mean? He said, now I know you have the revelation for yourself. You can get it from somebody else. You have the revelation for yourself. And that's, we all, he promises that to all of us, that we can understand who he is. The message of the angel at Sardis, oh, wait a minute, uh, John 14, 27, the spirit would give them an abiding sense of peace, an abiding sense of peace. Now, peace doesn't mean calm. <laughs> you can be at peace and not be uh, necessarily in a calm situation. You just have to learn to be, uh, let the peace of the Holy Ghost be in you, regardless of whatever situation you're in. Uh, hopefully it'll help you to stay calm, but it may not help the ones around you stay calm, so you still got to be at peace. Uh, the message to the angel of Sardis was that uh, the only hope the church had was for the Spirit to come to their aid. A lifeless and dying church is in great need of the work of the Spirit. Has to be the work of the Spirit. We have to allow the Spirit to work in each of us and to work in our church uh, collectively. A need of the Spirit is to quicken life, Romans 8, 11. One of my favorite verses. But if the Spirit of Him that raised up uh, Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal body. That's why receiving the Holy Ghost is so important. Once you got the Spirit on the inside, it can make you alive again. Just as you were born again, you can be resurrected with Him. Because of that spirit, I, that, that verse there, I just, people say you don't really need the Holy Ghost. They don't get it. <laughs> they don't want to read that verse. Uh, need of the spirit to convict them of sin, John 16, 7. Uh, the spirit will convict you of sin. Now, you can override it, but it will convict you of the sin. And the danger is the more you override it, the more likely you are to give in to it, more likely you are to go in the wrong direction because you're not following the leading of the spirit. A need of the fruit of the Spirit to grow. Now, we've talked before about the different fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, gentleness, kindness. We got, that has to grow. That has to grow. That's, that's not something you get the Holy Ghost one night and you see all the fruits of the Spirit the next day. No, nope. you probably see the joy the next day. <laughs> uh, but the others come with time and you, allowing you to be led by the Spirit of God. And that's the next one, uh, need of the guidance of the Spirit, John 16, 13. And a need of revival by the Pentecostal fire of the Spirit, Matthew 3, 11, and in Acts 2, 3, and 4. And they saw the tongues of fire sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and spake with other tongues. And also a need in Acts 1, 8, a need for the witnessing power of the Spirit. You say, I'm, I'm not very good at witnessing. You need to get more spiritual. <laughs> you, you need to get that gift of the Spirit stirred up in you so that whenever you come in contact with someone, I, I do not know the answers sometimes to the things that people ask me before they ask me. <laughs> Many times, you know, somebody asked me something and my first thought is, ah, and then... Something will come to you. That's the Spirit guiding. Now, you need to put it in before it can come out. <laughs> if you've never read the Bible, 
It's going to be hard. But most of the time, God will help you, especially, I, I find especially with new people. I mean, people who need to be saved, he will give you the words to say to them. He'll, he'll call the scriptures to your mind. Maybe you've only heard them or read them a few times, but he'll, he can bring those back to you. And that way you can witness to others. That's, uh, that's the powerful thing about the Spirit of God. Uh, so the only way a church can awaken is through the Holy Ghost. Uh, Revelation chapter 3, the last part of verse 1. He says, I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest and art dead. The things, and then uh, verse 2, the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found thy works perfect before God. Okay, your works aren't perfect before God. Not only that, but you had a name that you lived, but you've died. And the things which have a little bit of life in them left that remain are ready to die. <laughs> They're ready to die. They're at that point. And so whenever a, a church would get to that point to where almost everybody was dead and there was only a few remaining, uh, that's a sad situation. Somebody should have noticed something somewhere. <laughs> Somebody should have, should have figured it out way before you get to that point. Uh, <clears throat> John MacArthur gives the following illustration in uh, the New Testament commentary. The vast distances of interstellar space are unimaginably immense. The nearest stars to us are trillions of miles away. Those large distances have forced astron astronomers to come up with an appropriate measuring unit, the light year. One light year equals the distance that light travels at more than 186,000 miles per second travels in one year, more than six trillion miles. The enormous distance uh, to even the nearest star presents an interesting possibility. If a star 30 light years away from the Earth exploded and died five years ago, we would not be able to tell by looking at it for another 25 years. Though no longer in existence, the light from that star would go on shining as if nothing had changed. The perfect illustration sums up the situation in many churches. They once had the light but it's not necessarily there anymore. They still shine the reflected light, the brilliant light of the past. Looking at them from a distance, one might think nothing has changed, yet spiritual darkness or false teaching or sinful living uh, has extinguished the light inside, though some of the reputation may still remain. And I don't know how many churches you've been around, but there's a lot of churches that, that have had great revival. I had great spirit, great, great, and now they're not at that point anymore. And you just wonder, how, how long can they go on without getting that spirit stirred up again, without letting that light shine like it's supposed to? Sardis had a name, a reputation, a status, a standing, a prestige about them being alive. They were known for being alive. The Lord looks to them and said uh, he could see their works, and they were dead. Her fame was known throughout the re uh, region. It was the church to attend. It had been modernized. If it had been modernized, its parking lot would have been full. Policemen would have been present to direct traffic at the end of service. The community knew where the church was. It was popular and well attended. People would have enjoyed telling you that it was the church they had joined. The pastor probably would have been a rock star preacher who wooed the crowds. He probably would have had a weekly religious television program and would have written a host of books on self-help and self-esteem. They probably would have had a huge Easter production and a Christmas drama that the whole city showed up to see. It would have been the church of the highly visible movers and shakers of the city. And that probably reminds you of a few churches that you've heard of or know about. Yep, Jesus is calling. <laughs> All right. We, I lost Cassie. <laughs> oh, boy. All right. Well, you got you to gotta lighten it up sometime when you talk about being dead all the time. <laughs> I get a little life back into it. Uh, 
It's just that uh, the cities of Lydia would, city, uh, the citizens of the city would have looked at one way. The Lord looked at them entirely different. He plainly said, "I know your works." And now we can just look at them and judge them. But basically, yeah, you got to understand. He can look at us and say, "I know your works. I know your works." And that's what you need to be concerned about. What works does he know about you? You know, he's not going to listen when you say, well, so-and-so is not doing this work. No, he's looking at you. He's looking at you, and he wants to know what work you're doing. What are you doing? And again, he's not talking about community projects. He's not talking about goodwill things that all the churches are supposed to do according to the sinners. No, he's talking about the work of salvation. He's talking about what are you doing to help somebody else be saved? What are you doing to keep that fire going in you? What are you doing to keep from being dead in service? What is it that you're doing? He says, you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. People ever say, you know, you used to be a lot more lively. <laughs> you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. There are some things that are just barely alive, and they are ready to die. Your works are not perfect. Nobody's is, but they're not complete. They're spoiled. They're flawed. They're faulty. They are damaged. They are defective. This is why he's saying to the church at Sardis, this is, this is the shape that the church was in. He goes on and makes the further assessment. What you do have remains almost dead. I guess that's what we call half dead, huh? <laughs> uh, have you picked up on the fact that there was no compliments the Lord noticed about them? Think about that. God, as you look at our church, what would you say? Would it be negative or would it be positive? Lord, as you look at me as part of this church, what would the comment be? What would you say? The alarming thing about Sardis was that it was an active church. Active church can seldom be convinced they are dead and lifeless because of all that's going on in them. But the Lord notes that they are dead. It just kind of reminds me, and I, I, don't, I don't know anything about the situation. I just happened to see it in the little newspaper, the local newspaper here, where a ladies, Christian ladies group had a derby hat day. <laughs> What's that got to do with church? Don't mention church in that. Just <laughs> but that's the way it is. They're so busy. And a lot of churches have a lot of things going on. Sometimes they do a whole lot in the community. But that's not what he's looking for. Those things are okay, but that, that's just because you're doing those things doesn't mean the church is alive. Just because you appear to be alive because you're moving doesn't really mean that you're alive. Doesn't mean that you're responding to the Spirit uh, the way that you should. There are some dangerous signs that a church is dying. Uh, they're content to rest on their past accomplishments. You go around some places, you'll you say, start talking to them a little bit, and they'll talk about the great revivals they had before. I always want to say, what's happening now? <laughs> what's going on now? They're more concerned with the ritual than spiritual reality. What in the world is Jessica doing? We had four songs today instead of three. <laughs> you know, all those little rituals, you know. Oh, they took up the offering different today. Just all those little things that we get caught up in rituals in. And believe me, if you there's a lot of church you can go to and see a lot of rituals. Talk about dead. <laughs> uh, saddest thing to me is some of these different denominations' funerals. Oh my. They are they're sad. Because of course you know that the person probably wasn't saved, and then on top of it. There's nothing really encouraging said. There's nothing at all moving in the service. It just, it's sad. I've been to a few denominational weddings. I would prefer not to go to another one ever again. And sometimes they have beautiful buildings. 
and uh, there's, they got a lot going for them, but they're dead. Uh, focus on the social ills of the day rather than spiritual change needed in the heart. You know, and there's, there's a lot of programs that churches can run to help society, uh, but at the same time, the most important thing is to get people to change your heart. You know, you don't have to uh, do the Alcoholic Anonymous steps if you get a change of heart, if you allow the Spirit to change your heart, if you allow the Spirit to take away that longing that you have for that. It, 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 it's possible. How do we know it's possible? There's many of us in here that it's happened to. And you say, well, does that mean you've never, ever thought about taking a drink before? No, doesn't necessarily mean that. But it means you don't. And that you don't have the same desire for it that you had before. And again, that gets stronger as you go on. Uh, but it, it's, it's just the main thing. You just, you know, I had a guy tell me one night after church. I won't even tell you what he was, but he said, <laughs> you're supposed to be a leader. And uh, I said, well, how are you doing? He said, oh, I'm so mad I can go to a bar and drink. I didn't say, but what I wanted to say was you might as well go ahead if it's in your heart. Maybe that'll make you happy because nothing around here does. But I mean, people are always looking somewhere outside of themselves instead of looking to God. He's the one that can make that change. He's the one that knows that. He's the one that can help you with that. Some churches are more concerned with material things than they are spiritual things. And again, we have a nice building, but I'm telling you, some places... The whole business meeting is what are we going to do with our money to make the church look better. <laughs> That's the whole thing. And it's sad because when they get involved in that, many times the church dies inside. Uh, more concerned with what men think than with what God said. That's why the preachers, some of the preachers preach the wrong things because they're more concerned about what men think. They, they, they want the people to stay. They want the people to like them. They want the people to stay there. And so they preach what they think the people want to hear instead of what God said. You're never going to get stirred up if you're just preaching what man thinks instead of what God says. The only hope for church is for the preacher to preach the word of God. You have hope. And the church is not dead as long as you've got a preacher that's preaching the word of God. Your church has a good chance of making it. If he's not preaching it. Too many times more concerned with creeds and systems of theology than what the Word says. You know, all these different things that we've been taught, all these different uh, people who believe this or believe that or taught this or taught that different, you know, this is, no, God's not interested in that. What we need to be interested in is what the Word says. It, it's, I mean, you can read commentaries, it's okay, but just don't believe them all. <laughs> and don't take them over the Word of God itself. You know, because you can look at it, and that's really, that's just their opinion of what the Word says. So you need to go back to what the Word says to figure out what God is trying to say to you. Uh, the loss of conviction that every word of the Bible is the Word of God Himself. This is a problem in many churches. There's no conviction. Well, that scripture, yeah. And you know where it starts? Well, I know pastor said that, but I don't know if I believe that or not. <laughs> and then the next step is, you, well, he didn't have scripture and verse for that, so I, I don't think that's necessary. The biggest problem with that is if you have kids, they pick up on that. They pick up on that. If you don't back up at home what the preacher preaches at church, you're setting yourself up for a fall because you're, not, you're teaching them not to respect authority. And at some point, they're not going to respect you. And it's usually in the teenage years, and you've got a fight on your hands. But we, we have to continue with that conviction. We have to have that conviction that every word in the Bible is true. But we can't say, well, I don't think that verse means that. I don't, you know, that verse, I mean, we, <laughs> you know, we, we, we don't see it sometimes, but there are many different churches, they only have very few pages left in their Bible. Because they've ripped them out. You know, there's, there's a lot of churches that, that may not physically be so, 
But Acts 2.38 might, might as well be ripped out because they ain't never going there. They'll go 1 through 4 maybe, but that's it. Acts 2, 1 through 4. But they don't want to get down to verse 38. They don't want to talk about the chapters that talk about that baptism in Jesus' name. Why? Because if they did, it would, it would be different than the creeds or system of theology that they've been taught. And Aunt Sue and Uncle Bob, they, they were this way and they were good people. Well, remember the good people that came to Jesus? Yep, go sell all you have and give it to the poor. He didn't hesitate. None of, none of us are good enough to be what God wants us to be. It takes him to help us be what we need to be. But if you don't believe that the word of God is truth and that you can't take away from it or add to it, then you're not going to be in the right direction. You're not going to stay alive very long. Denial of the only source of spiritual life is Jesus Christ. You know, all these popular people, Oprah Winfrey, all these, they, they, oh, there's more than one way. <laughs> nope, Jesus Christ is the way, the way, the life. Uh, the church at Sardis had works, but no life. Revelation 3, 28 says, uh, be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. So he's saying, look, there's some that aren't dead yet. Work on them. <laughs> Work on them. You know, it's easier to get something almost dead back to life than to raise the dead. So, so start on those if you don't know where else to start. Uh, and, and every church has these. Even as dead as a, any church is, usually there's somebody in there that's not quite dead yet. And then verse 3, thir yeah, verse three it says, Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I come upon thee. The Lord is giving a correction here to the church that comes in the form of a warning. These two verses, there are five keys to revival. The first one, be watchful. Be watchful. You have to watch. What he's literally saying here is, wake up. Wake up. The Lord wants them to be fully awakened so they can see the condition of their church. Uh, Amplified Bible says, rouse yourself and keep awake. You have to say that to Kyle once in a while. <laughs> uh, Dr. Rod Matun relates a story in the commentary, Treasures from Revelation. Seven years ago, a woman uh, uh, with her little baby was riding in a stagecoast in western Montana. The weather was bitter cold, and in spite of all the driver could do to protect him from the cold, he saw that the mother was becoming unconscious from the cold. He stopped the coach, took the baby, and wrapped it warmly, and put it under his seat. He then seized the mother by the arm, and dragging her out on the ground, drove away, leaving her in the road. Isn't that terrible? As she saw him drive away, she ran after him, crying for her baby. When the driver felt sure she was warm... He allowed her to overtake the coach and resume her place with her baby. <laughs> Sometimes God will bring life-shattering circumstances unto your life to wake us up to. <laughs> Who's got your baby? <laughs> Somebody's trying to wake you up. Who's God using to try to wake you up? He knows that you're, you're falling asleep. And you know, if she was lost, the baby would have been lost. So it may seem cruel and, you know, <laughs> crisis is not always a bad thing. We, we think it is, but it's not. It's not always a bad thing. It, sometimes, again, it takes a crisis to wake us up. Uh, the second one is strengthen the things that remain. Uh, find spiritual grace in the church and support them. Get them active. Pursue the fruit of the Spirit in life and go after revival and spiritual awakening. That's what we all have to do. Uh, number three, remember how you received and heard the gospel. Uh, and that's one that if, should be easy for you to go back to. When you heard and received the gospel. It was crucial for Sardis to think back uh, of their spiritual devotion. And every once in a while we need to look back and say, have I been spiritually more devoted than I am now? If I was, what, what do I need to change to get back to that? Uh, the alertness and the energy that 
uh, you had in conversation, stir up the hunger and thirst that was present early on. Think of the witnessing that used to be done. Think of the passion in your prayers and remember the desires you had for spiritual service. Reestablish the love you had for the truth and for the apostolic doctrine. Do you find yourself, eh, it's not that big a deal anymore. No, you, you need to wake yourself up. You need to uh, help ask God to help you reestablish that passion and that love that you had before. You know, it's just like, you know, we, we used to sing a song uh, when people got the Holy Ghost that makes you love everybody. And, you know, there's, there's no happier person than somebody who received the Holy Ghost. They're, they're, they're hugging and loving everybody. They have no problem with nobody that day. <laughs> and so the problem is if you have a problem with somebody, you need to get the Holy Ghost. <laughs> you need to stir up that gift where you have that love back for everybody. Doesn't mean you agree with everybody, but you can still go ahead and love them like Jesus loves them. Love them for their soul's sake. Uh, hold fast. This is the command for obedience. Be obedient to the principles that were taught to you concerning Christian living. The principles don't change. Society tries to change the principles, but the principles in God's word do not change. It doesn't matter how many of the people in the world say they're different. The Word of God is what we have to stick to. The Word of God is what we have to hold on to. You've got to hold on to that. You can't, you can't ever let that go because, you know, you, have you ever had all someone, somebody's pull, pulling something from you, you know, and you're doing really good, and then one finger slips, and it's not very long before it's gone. And that's the way it is with the things of God. Once you let one thing slip, then you get back to that point to where it's, it's all starting to slip away. Oh, I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened. And I know we probably all know of a church that we can see we saw things slipping and now it's all gone. The fifth thing, repent. The Lord wanted them to have great remorse and sorrow over their sin. But he also wanted them to confess their sin and turn away from it. He doesn't want you just sorrowful and remorseful. He wants you to do something about it. He wants you to confess the sin and turn away from it. That's what shows where you're really at. It's whenever you truly repent and turn away from the things that are wrong. Turn away from sin. Uh, Sardis had only been conquered twice in history as a city. And Josh, or not Josh, but Joe, uh, if you want to put up slide four. As a city, it had set uh, 1,500 feet straight up in the side of the mountain cliff. It was perfectly safe from any enemy. The two times it had been defeated were due to a false sense of security. They failed to pass uh, post-adequate watchmen to overlook the hills and steep fortress-like city. Under the attack of Cyrus of Persia, a guard was seen to drop his helmet over a steep wall, climbed over the crevice to recover it. The soldier was overwhelmed by a small band of Cyrus men and they climbed the same crevice and got into the city. The city was taken again in the same way by one of Alexander the Great's leaders who had remembered how the Persians had gained access. And that's what you got to remember about the devil. <laughs> if it worked on one person, he's going to try it on you. <laughs> and so we shouldn't be surprised by the devil's tricks because we see how he's tried it on other people. And we know he can use the same ones on us. So the Lord's message to the church at Sardis was very clear. Watch. Watch. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't think anybody can watch when they're asleep. <laughs> when you're dead, you don't watch no more. And so if you get to that place, you better hope there's still the watchman on the wall watching for your soul that sounds the alarm and tries to get you to wake back up. Revelation 3, 4, uh, the commendation 3, 4. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Few names. So if you would happen to think you are the only one in the church that's still alive, odds are there's not. There's probably more than you realize. Because we can't judge who's dead and who's alive. We can tell some signs it might be getting lukewarm or whatever, but we don't really know. Uh, we, we don't really know. 
But the devil will try to get you to think, I'm the only one still trying to do right around here. I'm the only one that does what the pastor says. Everybody else just does what they want to do. No. You're not alone. Remember the prophet in the Old Testament? He thought he was alone. I got 7,000. <laughs> so we have, we have to realize that we're not alone when we're doing right. The devil tries to make us think we're the only one, but we're not. He still has others. They haven't defiled their garments, and they walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Uh, we might wonder who would have even managed to live for the Lord in a place like this. There was at least one named Melito of Sardis. He was a second century pastor who wrote one of the first commentaries on Revelation. He was a lonely pastor at this post, was doing his best to turn people toward the Lord. He is pastoring a dead church. He's trying to turn them back. Can you imagine living for the Lord surrounded by spiritual deadness? Can you imagine the absence of any real saints of the Lord being around you? Can you imagine a place that worship without any reverence at all? Can you imagine going in and out of a place where there was no spiritual depth at all? We are so blessed. We are so blessed. It, it's just hard to, hard to understand if you don't recognize it. That was Sardis, and it was where only a few of the Sardis had not defiled their garments. We can be sure of the fact that the Lord had not forgotten them. Malachi 3, 16 and 17. Then they that feared the Lord spake off one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it, and uh, a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord, that they thought upon his name. And they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in, the, in that day when I make up my jewels, and I will spare them, as a man spareth his own son and serveth him. So it tells us here that he will remember them. And that brings us to one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 10. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name, in that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. Everybody else may forget what you've done. Everybody else. There's no guarantee that anybody will remember anything good that you did. They'll remember the bad, but they probably won't remember the good. But it doesn't matter because God's not unrighteous. He's not going to forget your work. He's not going to forget your labor of love. And you've showed it towards his name, and you've ministered to the saints and do minister. You clean the bathroom, you're ministering to the saints. You do anything around the church, you're ministering to the saints. You worship, you're ministering to the saints. You pray with people. You give Bibles. All these things is ministry. And as you get older, now that I'm almost there, <laughs> turn 29 next month no <laughs> uh, you look back and you begin to see what you know I did this and I did that and yeah a lot of times you didn't get the credit for it <laughs> you didn't get the credit for it but if you continue to have faith in God and remember he's not going to forget any of that he's the perfect scorekeeper he's the one who knows what you've done, he's not going to forget, and so you just need to keep on doing it. You may not be able to do the same things you used to do, but you can keep doing something to minister to the saints and to minister. Uh, garments in Scripture symbolize character, uh, Isaiah and Jude. Uh, the Lord had noticed that there were a few stalks of wheat among the mass of tares. Soil is from the Greek word maluno, which means to stain, to defile, to smear, or to pollute. It was a word that would have been uh, familiar to Sardis who knew what dye would do to the wool. The Lord promises these faithful few that they will walk with him in garments of white because they are worthy. Even in the middle of a dead church, the Lord recommend, or commended those who were committed to personal holiness. We're talking about the garments. And I'm not going to have time to go into all of it, but I did... Uh, I noticed in here it talked about the garments, and so I got to looking at garments and robes. And um, there's uh, Jesus is uh, the words translated in garments in uh, 
and raiment in Matthew, Luke, and Mark where Jesus is transfigured. It says that uh, it was white. And then he talks about the church here in Revelations chapter 3, verse 5, 18, and 4 and 4. Talks about them having the white garment. Now after that, in chapter 6, 11, 7, 9, 13, and 14, he talks about white robes. The white robes are the tribulation saints who die for the testimony of Jesus Christ. The ones who wear the white raiment like Jesus did are the body of Christ. They're the church that goes on that's caught up to meet him in the air before the tribulation. And so we have that hope. He's given us the garment. Remember the the parable where they had the wedding and he even furnished the garments for them? (laughs) That's what Jesus has done for us. We can put on his righteousness. We can put on what he has given unto us to walk in the way of holiness. Um, Don't fool yourself into waiting to believe it doesn't matter how you live. The church of Sardis is a very clear example of people who are once alive in the spirit have allowed sin to capsize them and make them enemies of the cross. It is a church that's filled with deceived backsliders. Turn yourself back to the highway of holiness, Isaiah 50 or 35, 8. And highway shall be there, and a way it shall be called the, the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for those, the wayfaring man, though fools, shall not err therein. If you don't come to know God, you're not going to get in by accident. You're not going to trip your way into heaven. But if you walk in the way that he has for you to walk in the highway of holiness, you will make it with him. So in conclusion, um, I don't want to be a lifeless saint. <laughs> It'd be easy for all of us to look around our church and, and make a few observations. And, ah, they might be dead. Uh, or we might look around and say, well, I'm, I'm glad that our church isn't dead. But our church is in constant need of revival. Constant need of revival. The easy thing to do is look and say, the church I go to is dead. My pastor is not anointed by the Holy Ghost, so it's not hard to understand why the church is dead. Sometimes leaders can look at churches and think that all the people he's trying to lead are dead. The problem with these two thoughts is you give, make the problem with someone else. The greatest question is not how would the Lord classify our church, our pastor, or our congregation. The greatest question has become how would the Lord classify me? as dead or alive to him? That's what you need to answer. It's so easiest for us to fall into the trap of living the Christian life in our own power. After a while, we, we, there's a lot of things that we, we don't have to have the Holy Ghost to know that what we should do and should not should do. But we need to stay in close contact with the Lord and his word and through our own prayer life. The American Apostolic Church at large is generally a prayerless church a church that has a famine of the word of the Lord, but is filled with maddening busyness. (laughs) You know, as long as we look busy, people think we're doing okay. Give us this daily bread has been replaced with give us a good message today through our pastor that will sustain us for the whole week. (laughs) So much for the daily bread. (laughs) Instead of daily communion with the Lord, the church is living on one or two meetings a week to attempt to cover the gap. No longer do we seek a daily visit to the overflowing river of God's presence. Jeremiah pointed out the problem. We have hewn ourselves cisterns, broke cisterns that can hold no water. Instead of our life revolves around materialism, sports, television, entertainment, possessions. We may do all the Christian things, even send our children to Christian schools, listen to Christian music, and attend a Christian church. But deep within us, there is no real hunger for the Spirit, no desire for the prayer, little interest in the Word. Like the believers in Sardis, we have the appearance of being spiritual, but God can see the facade and is aware that empowering life of the Spirit is not in us, and our works have become dead. Wake up, repent, strengthen the things that remain. And 
probably my most recent one. I don't mean to say the church is dead, but Julius' graduation was at a church, and it wasn't alive. <laughs> oh, it, it, it wasn't alive. I mean, it, it was nice, but it wasn't, I wouldn't call it alive. <laughs> and they're probably doing better than a lot of them. Uh, so we just, we have to realize we got to wake up, we got to repent. All right, let's stand and pray. And uh, uh, right after Sister Allen wants to see the uh, safety team uh, upstairs for a quick meeting, hopefully a quick meeting. <laughs> uh, remember Sunday morning? Invite somebody out. Uh, hopefully we'll have some more get baptized this Sunday. I think we had a couple more this Sunday that were thinking about it, but just didn't take that step. So keep praying for our, our guests that have been coming, uh, that the Lord will continue to do a work in their lives and bring them on into full salvation. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you, Lord, for all that you've done for us. Thank you, Lord, for uh, each and every one that is here tonight, Lord. We, we thank you, Lord, so much for what you're doing in their lives, Lord, and, and for the word that you've given unto them, O oh God, Lord, and your spirit that you've given unto them, O oh God. Lord, help us to stir up that gift, Lord. Help us, Lord, to awaken ourselves, Lord, and to watch, Lord, so that we are not uh, taken unawares, Lord, but that we don't allow ourselves to get in that state of being dead in the church, oh God, Lord. But help us, Lord, to stay alive unto you and to your things, oh God, Lord, that we could uh, help others, oh God, and reach out, Lord, and, and others, when they come in, could feel the life in the church, oh God, Lord, that they would, they would want what we have because we have you, oh God. We ask you to bless each and every one and bring us back Sunday. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen.